Hello everybody, and welcome once again to Detect and Protect, the Australian Biosecurity Podcast. I'm your guest host, Casey Baines, and today we have the third episode in our very special series looking back to celebrate last year's 30th anniversary of the Biosecurity Detector Dog program. The program plays a vital role in the interception of biosecurity risks in the airport, mail, and cargo environments. The Detector Dog's excellent agility and super noses makes them one of our most effective and lovable detection methods. To celebrate this milestone, last year we reached out to some of the department's very first biosecurity detector dog handlers to hear some stories of their time during the program. Our guest today is Harry Smithard. Harry was one of the first two detector dog handlers along with Rachel from our previous episode. Harry was based in Brisbane with his four-legged friend Winston. In the episode, he outlines the initial struggles of the detector dog program, including staff acceptance. Harry also talks us through key attributes of a detector dog handler, including observing not only dog behaviour, but human behaviour as well. Okay, enough from me. Let's jump in and hear Harry. To start us off, could you talk us about how you entered the program and how you first started? Um, so when I when it first started, I heard along the grapevine that they were going to try uh, some new technology. And when I did a bit of digging, I saw that there was a a strong vision behind uh, the process. So I thought I would really like to get on the ground floor with this and and take up the challenge. Awesome. And um, when did you start? What region were you deployed in? And did you uh, have I'm, a specific dog that you worked with where you worked? Yeah, so I was based in Brisbane and the dog that I was assigned was Winston. Right. And did Winston have any... Um, any quirks or any any interesting things about him that made him fun to work with? Yeah, he was quite strong-headed and um, and very cheeky, so it made yeah, a, a, a lot a of fun as a handler. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. So, so when you think back, can you think um, what really first attracted you to the role, or was it just that it was something new, really? Yeah, it was. It was the fact that it was new technology. And that it was, uh, I guess, fairly risky. You know, it could either, it was a pilot program, so it could either fall over or it could be successful. Yeah, so sure. it was that challenge that um, drew me to the role. Right, okay. And and can you talk us through a little bit of the process of, of setting up and having, um, I've forgotten his name, the trainer come across from America and training you as a small team to start with? Yes, so the trainer's name was Colvin Branica. And um, he was a military-style trainer. Right. So we started, uh, dogs were sourced in October, November 91. And then the initial training of the dogs uh, started at the end of December in right, 91. Okay. And uh, Rachel and I started training on the 3rd of January 1992. Right. And I was the first to be installed on the 12th of March, 92. Oh, yeah. And then Rachel, uh, two weeks after that. So you've got such a good memory of all the different milestones. Yeah, it doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so when you think back, is there a specific best part or something that, that you really enjoyed being a handler? Yeah, the... The thing, like initially, it was 
like I say, it was that challenge of getting it up and running and, and proving that they could be successful because there was a lot of resistance. I'm initially from organisations like Australian Customs who didn't want us in the baggage hall. Right. And, um, and then as the dogs started to prove uh, successful, then there was a fear and, and resistance from colleagues. They saw themselves being replaced by dogs. And yep. um, so uh, on the ground, there wasn't a great level of support. So that was challenging. And, but the thing that once I grew into the role, the thing that I really loved about it is it suited my personality. I was the type of person who was very good at picking up patterns, um, oh, right. behaviour or sequences. And so as a handler and a trainer, if you can identify, uh, you know, stimulus that cause a different response, even though the circumstances might be the same, then you can harness yeah. that to improve the dog's performance and to right, prove yeah. to improve your performance as a team. That's really interesting because that's pretty much exactly what Rachel said when I talked to her yesterday. She said it, she really enjoyed the understanding of the dog's emotions and the way they worked and then also um, people's responses to seeing a dog to start with. Yeah. That's right. We were kind of on the forefront, not only of the dog work, but also of the profiling of passengers because the dogs were indiscriminate in their screening. Yeah, true. Um, it became very obvious early on as to which cohorts of passengers were going to be most likely to be um, causing risk. Right. And was that um, was that already like a known commodity um, just for manual inspections and things like that you were doing at the time? Or no, really? it wasn't because manual inspections were such a small percentage of of passengers right. and yep. um, so the chances of picking up patterns of of um, you know risk was very small and right. um, but because dogs were screening thousands and thousands of um, people um, and it didn't matter where they were from or or anything like that the dog was yeah. purely they either had targeted contraband or they didn't yeah and so the results quickly identified patterns yeah that's really interesting um when when you think back as your time as a handler do you have one go-to story or a really interesting find that you you go to when people ask you about it uh that i mean there's just so many i guess one that stuck to my in my mind um was uh we were screening and winston elicited a very subtle change of behavior it wasn't a full-on yeah. response, and that I was able to pick up on it. And when I inspected the bag, it was obvious why it wasn't a full-on response because it wasn't, a, a, you know, a targeted item. Yeah. Um, but it was a single Siamese fighting fish in a sealed plastic bag. Wow. So it was a pretty amazing, yeah, um, detection. Yeah, and. It's it's really interesting that um doesn't have to be something large. I think one of Dee's favorite stories was she had I think it was Jess run off to the other side of the arrivals hall just to find a single leaf that was stuck in someone's shoelaces. 
it's amazing yeah. the small little things that the dogs could find um, that's right it's yeah it's such a um it's not that difficult to become a uh you know a, a good dog handler but it's extremely difficult to become uh, a great dog handler and yeah. um it's it's all the the one percent is getting all those correct that makes a difference and to yeah. do that you have to be very curious and you have to be always looking for you know the the different um stimulus and changes yeah um just to ask, were you a vice security officer before you joined the program? Yeah, or, so back then yeah, you were? Uh, we were quarantine officers. Oh, but sorry, yeah, yeah, so quarantine, yeah. Yeah. Um, and did the way that you observed passengers things change? So you were when you became handler, you were almost more watching your dog rather than the passengers. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, yeah the way the way I saw risk. Um, in relation to biosecurity risk material changed considerably and um, and it was trying to educate other quarantine officers in those new you know try to get them to see risk differently as well right yeah and that's so a big role of the detected dog program back then or the beagle brigade it was as it was known was um the primary role was obviously to find um, risk material but uh, a very large secondary role was education and public relations. So before yeah. Steve Irwin was the place of quarantine, uh, the Beagle Brigade was the place of quarantine. Yeah. And so there was a lot of media events, there were a lot of live shows, um, there were a lot of school visits, um, and there was a lot of education, educating passengers, even as a group, because when uh, passengers see a, a cute little beagle sniffing bags as soon as the dog alerts to something and you're pulling out an apple the conversation starts and the opportunity to educate those passengers yeah. that have just observed something mm -hmm. um was extremely important yeah it's really interesting and that um although the the public relations and now we don't have as much of an impact in the front facing, but still the Detect Dog program is one of our main tools to get a message out and educate. Um, do you have um, any appearances that you did that you can think of or any you can reflect on? Yeah, I mean, for the first two years, we were doing uh, media appearances at least once a fortnight and probably once a week. Oh, wow. Um, everything from Good Morning Australia, Today Show, Totally wild. Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty steady stream. Wow, that's amazing. Um, when you think about, um, obviously, you said it was curiosity and trying to understand the dog that drew you to the role. Um, can you think about um, what people that might want to be a handler in the future, what attributes do you think they might succeed with? Well, again, it comes down to uh, you need to be really have that curious mind uh, both in regards to um, what passengers might have but also in regards to not only uh, the animal behavior but the, but the human behavior in, uh, in regards to passengers but also you need to be extremely conscious of your own body language because the yeah. objective of being a good dog is 
that you're there to guide the dog and to give the dog the best chance to uh, detect items, but your presence can't provide any cues that might elicit yeah, proper responses or cause the dog to walk target. So it's very much a tightrope and, and protecting it is, you know, it's uh, yeah, a real fine line. line dog, yeah. Mm. Um, when you think back about your time with Winston, can you maybe just give us an overview of what a regular day um, from when you started to working through with him to finish would be? Yep, so we'd start yep. at around four in the morning. And so I'd pick him up, he'd go out into the exercise yard uh, for his morning constitutional. And then um, we'd load up into the back of the car and head out to the airport. When we get to the airport, he would be preparing uh, the paperwork for the day, having a look at the flight sheet, uh, deciding where our efforts were going to be of greatest value um, in regards to which flights we did, and um, also balancing doing as many passengers as possible without, you know, uh, risking injury or exhaustion for the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so animal welfare was always front of mind, uh, making sure the dogs had adequate breaks and uh, and that sort of thing. And then we'd basically be screening passengers for the rest of our shift, which was generally between 10 and 12 hours long. Um, in between working flights out in the baggage carousel, uh, out in the baggage reclaim area, um, I'd be working in the bays uh, assisting other quarantine yeah, officers, yeah. uh, crew passengers, or on the echo machine. Mm-hmm. And um, and then at the end of the day, um, we'd go down to the kennel, and then we'd have to, uh, well, I'd have to clean the kennel, uh, yeah. exercise and feed all the all the dogs. Mm-hmm. And um, and then when all that was done, it would be time to head home. Right, and start again. Wow. And that's not days, like obviously days where we had media or fuel with yeah. or but, you know, that would be incorporated in the Yeah, different. And some days, yeah. I, like, we used to work, um, like, Coolangatta Airport, for example. Uh, yeah. It wasn't a proclaimed first port, so there was an yeah. airline called... Um, uh, Freedom Air used to go mm-hmm. into there from New Zealand. So Freedom Air, they had to fly down all the customs cohort. Oh, right, to, to then meet Brisbane. their flight. Yeah, so Winston and I would fly down in a light air car. Uh, we'd screen all the passengers and then we'd fly back. Wow, that's cool. Um, One of the things that sort of really remained with the program is a sense of community and when our handlers are trained it's not that you do a four-week training course and then you're off on your own you're continually learning um, with the team that you're with um did you take a role as i assume training the new handlers that came on after you started or yeah part of knowledge um after i was a handler i became a um a technical hand uh senior technical handler Right, which okay. was like the supervisor or team leader for uh, for the squad. So, yeah, as teams come out of the training centre, they're at the bare minimum. Um, so they do require a lot of 
um, assistance and quite yep. often handlers when they come out are very eager to rack up, you know, 1,200 yeah. passengers. But it's about, you know, like training an athlete, you've got to train the dog to a level of fitness. You've got to work up to it. Yeah, true. So if you if you come out with a green dog and start leaving a thousand passengers a day, uh, you'll destroy the dog. So it's about a, a matter of check, uh, choosing the flights that are most suitable for their learning curve. Yep. And um, balancing their effort. Yeah, just a gradual increment. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Did you ever? uh have a retired dog come home with you or do you do you have dogs today or, or was it really just a, a work exercise for you as being a i don't have i don't have dogs today but um uh winston came home with me so oh, nice. uh winston was working from the beginning of 92 until the end of 2000 right, and okay. yeah. in that time with me we screened over a million passengers and Jesus. seized items from uh, over 9,600 passengers. So, wow, that's impressive. So that gives a, an idea of the mass screening abilities uh, that yeah, dogs have that are able to cover a large amount of passengers. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I also adopted another dog called Sadie. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, they both passed on. Uh, was Sadie a beagle as well, ago. or yeah? Sorry, was Sadie yeah, a beagle as well? Yeah. well yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really interesting that um, it's good that our dogs retire usually to their handlers or to ex-handlers because they, I mean, uh, beagles are quite difficult dogs if you don't know what you're doing. So it's good that um, they have a really good home to go to. And you were talking about animal welfare before. It's really good that we can look after our dogs as well. Yeah. Well. You know, Winston was my best mate, really, when, you know, it came down to it. So we'd been through a lot together, and and so it was only natural for me to uh, take him home. I love to him, yeah. Um, obviously, the department's just done an external recruitment round for the first time in a long time for handlers. Um, would you have any advice to um, anyone who has either just applied or might want to apply in the future? Uh, yeah, um, it's hard work and um, you need to go there with the primary focus of learning as much as you can, as quickly as you can, and always have the aim of learning something new every day in relation to uh, handling a dog. Um, because as I say, there's no such thing as perfection. Uh, you can get um, very very close and um but it's never perfect yeah when you say there's no such thing as perfection were there some specific challenges or things that you always had to keep in mind as you were working yeah um you know it's learning it's not only learning about animal behavior and and people human behavior but it's even things about learning how air currents behave in a you know, air-conditioned environment with oh, true. massive to moving walk. passengers. Yeah. Because you've got air conditioning which causes the air to sink, the cold air sinks, and you've got passengers where an adult male is equivalent to 1,100 watt 
heater at 37 degrees. Yep. So if you've got 200 people, all their body heat is causing yeah. the air to rise, and that all causes eddies. And understanding how those eddies work in relation to a dog's air sensing ability. Wow, I'd never thought of that before. Yeah, and there's yeah, things like a, Coriolis effect that yeah. uh, come into play. And uh, so it really is a fascinating field. And, um, and you know, the, the, it was new technology when we started, but where we are now is so far ahead of our understanding of what we understood back of animal behaviour back then. Yeah, and true. another 30 years, the understanding will be straight ahead again. So, yeah, sure. Um, okay. Um, obviously, you're not a handler anymore. Uh, are there skills, or do you think the hand, the role of a handler, set you up well for your career into the future? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. certainly. Like when I finished with the the detective dog program and moved on, I was at national level as the national technical manager. Um, so I learned a lot of skills in that role and, and also in the supervisor role that um, went further in my career. Yeah. Um, understanding of human behaviour certainly uh, went with me further in my career. Yeah, true. But it's kind of, I, I kind of see my um, employment with the department as two separate careers. There's the the employment and my main career, which was in the dog program. Yep. And then my supplemental career, which has been since. Um, that's really most of the questions that I had for you. Is there anything that you can think back on that you'd just like to share from your time in the program? Uh, I was just extremely grateful for the opportunity and um, the ride that I went on, I could not have asked for anything better. It was such a sensational experience. And um, yeah, I'm extremely grateful. But here, and I, I for one, have just really enjoyed hearing all the stories from um, your team back when the program started. and even stories from our current handlers now that's such an amazing high profile program and I'm glad that it's still um, going through leaps and bounds as a program 30 years later. Thank you so much for your time. I'll give you a no few worries. minutes back in your day and so I'll see you again. Okay. okay thanks. Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Detect and Protect. You can find out more information on the department's website or by visiting biosecurity.gov.au. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast series to get updates on future topics and learn more about Australian biosecurity. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media pages. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Detect and Protect.